Do you need help with your journey? Has your Bible reading brought up? Um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. And good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. Jason Vanderveer here with you and looking forward to a great show for the next hour, taking your calls, questions, uh, prayer requests. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, you heard the number there. Let me give it to you one more time. 303 690 That number will get you through. And on the air here, we've got all our lines open. Uh, early in the program is always a great time to call. Uh, less uh, wait for you and uh, more lines open, and so uh, uh, a lot easier for us to get you on. Uh, so pick up the phone, dial right now, 303-690-3000. If you can't call right now, just uh, punch that in a note or in your contacts and give us a call when you're able to today uh, or any Monday through Friday when Calvary Live is heard here on your station. I appreciate all of you listening on Grace FM in Colorado and Wyoming and of course, all of our listeners on Truth FM in uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Tennessee, and our Hope FM listeners in the Northeast, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, welcomed all of you. Na same number for all of you to call, 303-690-3000. If you prefer to text uh, your question, you can do that also, or your prayer request. Uh, you can do that also. Just uh, give me a short uh, one-sentence text, and you can send it to 720 nine seven seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven uh that is the text number if you want to join me uh via that uh uh, mode, but I'd love to have you give me a call here on the program. Join me on Calvary Live three zero three six nine zero three thousand. I'm Jason Vanderveer. I am uh, the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Parker, Colorado. And uh, if you're interested in more information about uh, our fellowship, you can find that at CalvaryChapelParker.com. That's CalvaryChapelParker.com, and including if you're going to be in the area, you can get service times. Uh, Sundays, Wednesdays, and uh, other times when we have things going on throughout the week. Uh, there, there are quite a few other things that you can take advantage of. But the next opportunity, actually, that you can join us is tonight uh, at Calvary Chapel Parker, if you're going to be in the area, 7 p.m. Uh, here, local time. And uh, you can come on out for our midweek study as we continue uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be in the third and fourth chapter of 1 Samuel, uh, looking at the establishment of a prophet uh, the beginning of the prophetic order and uh, the establishment of the prophet Samuel. So you won't want to miss that tonight. Worship, Bible study, children's ministry, youth ministry, all that available uh, this evening, 7 p.m. at Calvary Chapel Parker. You can get directions, calvarychapelparker.com. But like I said, uh, better yet, no time like the present. How about joining me on this program, Calvary Live? Uh, for those of you that uh, just tuned in, you listen regularly, you know the program. If not, if you've just found us, welcome. You can join us here live on the program with your question uh, or your prayer request uh, about the Bible, 303 690 
3,000 is the number to call, and you can uh, join us here on the air. And then, as I mentioned earlier, if you prefer to text, uh, some people do. Uh, just give me a, a short one-sentence uh, question, uh, your question in, in one sentence or your prayer request in one sentence, and you can send that to 720 Have a text question here regarding the Holy Spirit. Uh, someone wants to know uh, it's trouble, difficulty understanding the Holy Spirit, um, it, and they're saying they know it's one Spirit, but is there a difference between the Holy Spirit you receive at salvation, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit? Is the Helper different than the gifts? Do you receive those gifts at different times or different ways? So this question is kind of uh, really good because it encompasses a lot of the difficulties uh, that people sometimes have regarding uh, the Holy Spirit, and uh, first of all, uh, the whole, there is uh, one Spirit. The the Spirit is uh, not a force or anything like that, as is incorrectly sometimes uh, stated by people. The Spirit of God is a person, uh, labeled uh, in Scripture with pronouns. The Spirit of God is divine, uh, and so uh, we see that in, in in Scripture as well. The the Spirit of God is the uh, is is the the third person. Of of the Trinity, you have the Father, you have the Son, and then you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, three distinct persons of the Trinity, all being God, all being equal. Uh, now that is what the Holy Spirit is as we find the Spirit in Scripture. Now as to uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, uh, sometimes called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, those are distinct things. They can happen at the same time. They can happen separately. In other words, when you become a believer, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, from John chapter 20, after Jesus' re res uh, uh, resurrection, he breathes on the disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they and all believers subsequent, uh, when they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Then we see in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes upon, not in, but upon the early uh, believers uh, beginning at the day of Pentecost. Jesus said in, uh, right before his ascension, in, and it's recorded in the first chapter of the book of Acts, and you will receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes upon them beginning in the book of Acts. And uh, so you could say, that uh, that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit can happen when you become a believer. It can happen subsequent. Uh, I believe that it's something that that uh, you can be freshly empowered with the Spirit several times. And if you look during the in the Book of Acts, they uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them uh, several times. So that is the empowering or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And with the empowering of the Holy Spirit comes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians twelve and elsewhere we see, uh, but there's a, a, a list there of those gifts, and these gifts uh, are given uh, by the Holy Spirit uh, for the uh, benefit uh, of uh, ministry and the benefit of the church. So I hope that uh, that, that uh, helps you as far as your question 
regarding the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the indwelling, the uh, empowering, and the gifts uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you have a question on that, or you have a question, anything about the Bible, it all goes 303-690-3000. Jason Vanderveer here with you on Calvary Live. Let's go to D in Fort Collins. D, welcome to the program. Hi, D, can you hear me? Hello, D. Oh, we uh, we don't have D. It looks like uh, D has uh, given some information regarding uh, their question, and it's uh, a question about uh, baptizing for the dead, uh, and uh, it's a very interesting uh, passage, and I'm trying to locate it. It's uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, and I'm going to locate that qu- that passage for you, uh, and then we can talk about 1 Corinthians 15 here. Uh, I believe this, well, I think this is the one. I know of uh, I know not of another, uh, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, uh, 29, the Apostle Paul says, What will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise, why then are they baptized for the dead? It's a, it's a, it's a verse that has been misunderstood uh, by a, a lot of people. Uh, in the Mormon church, for example, they, they do proxy baptism. Uh, in part because of this uh, passage, and uh, in other words, what they what they'll do is they'll baptize people who have died uh, into the Mormon Church via proxy. So someone else standing in their place, uh, they have baptized uh, deceased leaders, presidents of the United States, and so forth, uh, all uh, because of a misunderstanding of this. Um, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is not uh, not some you know, process whereby uh, we go back and somehow try to, you know, write the the lives of those who weren't believers or or things like that by by baptizing them though they they have died because the 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 assumption would be that they weren't baptized uh, in their life if if you were doing that and so it's not teaching that the living can be baptized in proxy for the dead. What Paul is arguing against um, would be a futile practice uh, uh, against uh, you know. Uh, that baptism is a futile practice if the dead don't rise. And so his, the idea, if you look in context of the passage, what he's saying is, what would be the point of sending replacements in, in, into the battle if the army was fighting a losing battle? Why baptize new believers into the ranks of Christianity to replace those who had died or been martyred if there was no resurrection? So in other words, why, why continue on with this practice of, of, of continuing the church, continuing to preach the gospel, continuing to baptize new believers uh, if those believers who had gone before had merely died and there was no resurrection uh, of the dead? So I hope that that uh, you know, clarifies that passage for you a little bit. It's a very interesting one, and uh, perhaps the next time that you come across uh, someone who uh, believes in uh, proxy baptism or the baptism of the dead or, or who's a member of one of these cults and throws that passage at you, uh, you're familiar with that passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 29. You're familiar uh, with what the Apostle Paul is actually arguing there. Of course, he's talking greater context about the resurrection and uh, the futility of baptizing new believers uh, if the dead do not rise. Let's uh, 303 Thousand. Let's go to Justin in Colorado Springs. Justin, welcome to the program. Hi, how you doing, Pastor? I'm doing really well. How are you? Oh, far better than I deserve, my friend. <laughs> um, True. So I've got a question concerning the gospel. 
Um, and obviously, you know, we're all commanded to share it as Christians, um, both verbally and we're also called to be living it um, as living epistles. But what I seem to keep hearing um, from fellow believers as I share the gospel, um, the good and the bad news, you know, obviously why we need a Savior, that we're sinners, and and that there is a real place called hell, and, and, and His condemnation rests upon us without the blood of Christ, because, um, you know, the gospel, the full gospel is both of those sides, and then you've got the grace and the cross and whatnot, and why that means so much more. Um, but what I keep hearing is that um, you can't share the gospel with someone unless you have a relationship with them or building a relationship with them. And, and so I guess I was just kind of curious about your thoughts on that, because um, when I read the Scriptures, I mean, I think I do see that with Christ, you know, he's eating, eating with the sinners uh, right. and the tax collectors, and he's building a relationship. But I also see Paul going from city to city um, and just declaring the Gospel fearlessly mm-hmm. and, and getting stoned right. for it. And, and so I think, so I mean, I guess what are your thoughts on that, you know? Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I think I understand exactly what you, what you're asking, and um, and I think I understand the the difficulty that you're having with the statement. You know, I, I, I guess I, I would always say this: if someone says you can't do something, um, well, we need to see in the scripture that that that's indeed something that the scripture tells us that we can't do. And when we when we turn to the Word of God, we, we don't see anywhere in there that it says, well, you've got to know somebody and have a relationship with them uh, to preach the gospel. I think that that's just kind of somebody's idea that, that sounded good to somebody else along the way and then sounded good to somebody else, and before you know it, uh, everybody's going around saying it. I, I think, having said that, though, that, that it, it, it is obviously very helpful in a lot of cases um, to have a relationship with somebody uh, to in order to be able to preach the gospel. But I can say this, that in some cases it is not helpful to have a relationship with somebody in order to preach the gospel. For example, uh, you know, Jesus is, is uh, arguably most rejected in Nazareth, right? And, uh- and, 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 and it's not because Jesus lived a, a, an inconsistent life. It's simply because they, they thought they knew him. They had a relationship right. with him, and, and, and they thought they knew him. And I, and I think that sometimes there can be people uh, who think that they know you. Uh, maybe you, unlike Jesus, you know, were different in your past, and they knew you then, but they don't know you now. And so, uh, Or they just have an issue with the gospel, therefore they have an issue with you, and they kind of superimpose those things upon you, or whatever the case may be. So I think sometimes relationships can be a barrier. I, in other words, I think you know, sometimes someone else uh, might be more effective at uh, preaching the gospel to people that I know very well because maybe they're not interested in listening to me. Sometimes there are, are you know, children of parents and when they're younger, you know, they, they don't necessarily always respect uh, uh, what their parents have to say or but they'll listen to somebody else. You know, there, there are these dynamics that, that exist. So I, I wouldn't, I'd be careful of blanket statements, but I would say in general, it is, it is usually helpful to have a, re, to, to build a relationship with somebody and, 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 but you don't want to, you know, say, well, I'm waiting for, for, to have established a relationship with somebody for two years before I share the gospel with them. You know, obviously that's, that has its own pitfalls and, and, and problems as well. So, 
So I think that we need to be careful with this this idea and we need to just pray and as the Lord tells us to share with them, we share with them and and of course we seek to uh, to to build relationships with all people, but we shouldn't shy away uh, from a person that maybe you you know maybe you just meet them in in a restaurant or or you you meet them on 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 in on an airplane you know you're sitting next to them on the airplane. I believe that you know in and you've got a two hour flight with them. And God's calling you to share the gospel with them, you know. So, so we need to be careful of of putting God in a box uh, where He He uh, doesn't box Himself up already in His Word. Right. Amen. Yeah. And and I would say the same um, because, yeah, you know, absolutely. That's been my personal experience, and I think that um, you know, in Scripture, you know, we see that you know, Paul says there's waterers and there's yep. uh, there's seed planters, you know. Yep. And I think he was probably at least. From my assessment, maybe I'm wrong, but I think Paul was kind of more of a seed planter than a waterer, um, in the sense that, you know, he went from city to city to city, mm-hmm. and just proclaimed it to people he had no he had no relationship with, no, um, no, no, no foundation personally with on a on a on a person to person basis. But then you've got like I think it was Philip, mm-hmm. who who talked to the to the eunuch. And mm-hmm. the eunuch was already speaking, mm-hmm. but God had him to water that. And so I think, um, yeah, I think you're you're pretty spot on there. And it's been my experience that people who I know, it's a lot more difficult for me to to give them the gospel because then you know I have to suffer through uh, <laughs> the, the mockery and the ridicule because I know them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I, I think the I think the goal is just this. Jesus said, Go Matthew twenty eight, nineteen, go into all the world and preach the gospel and and uh making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, it it, it it's important to to remember the first part of that though. The first step is to preach the gospel. And and some people they're gonna be completely new to you. Um, you know, when I get up on a Sunday morning uh, or a Wednesday night, for that matter, I preach the gospel, and, and a lot of times there's people there I've never met before. Um, some of them I haven't even met yet. I, I, I won't even meet them till after the service, but, but I still preach the gospel to them. When I think about, you know, the great evangelists, uh, there, there are people that they've preached the gospel to they've never met. And so I, I don't think that that knowing somebody is is a prerequisite from the scriptures. Um, but you know, when you have an opportunity and you know somebody, and and the Lord is able to draw upon that, then then that's great. But I I, I just wouldn't uh, uh, make that uh, a requirement because you're gonna you know you and I would miss a lot of opportunities if we did. Absolutely, and we don't know when we're gonna die, and so yeah, or as well. It, it, Exactly. So keep preaching the gospel to my 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 only requirement is uh, somebody has to be willing to listen. I'll preach the gospel. You just have to be willing, sort even sort of willing to listen. <laughs> you, yeah. You know, and, and, and if somebody is semi willing to listen, uh, you know, and they uh, they don't shut you down, then then preach the gospel. Yeah, and if they shut me down or or anyone down, then that's on their own heads. You know. Yeah. You, you know, you pray for you you pray for them and you move on. And uh, maybe and maybe you come back later at another op- opportunity when they when they're willing to listen. So, hey, uh, I I appreciate uh, I appreciate you giving us an opportunity to to talk about that, Justin. Absolutely, thank you so much, Pastor. You betcha. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye bye. 
303-690-3000. If you want to join me on Calvary Live, Jason Vanderveer here with you. Let's go to James in Baltimore. James, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, thank you for joining me. What's on your mind today? So I just heard a sermon on on this station. Um, It was about John the Baptist sending his disciples to Jesus, asking him if he was the one or do they look for another one. Yeah. And in in the sermon, um, he said that it was John who doubted. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I understand it, and the way that I guess I was taught it, is that John is John's not the one who doubted. He was sending his disciples because his you know his disciples still wanted to follow John and they weren't all ready to turn to Jesus and he he did that for the sake of his disciples. Yeah. Well, um I would probably and and uh, I'd have to uh to maybe understand, you know, what led you to to your opinion. I would probably be more inclined uh, to agree with uh, the teaching that you recently heard on the radio. Uh, of course, for those, um, and I don't know who who you were listening to, um, and and but it doesn't really matter. Of course, the passage uh, in question is from the eleventh chapter uh, of the Gospel of Matthew, and and the the timing of it is. Uh, well, the, the the historical timing, of course, John has been arrested and he's going to be beheaded, um, and and so John is in prison. Um, and when you begin to look at the context, uh, you see that that he's uh, he's struggling where he's at, and that's why in verse four, um, so John sends his disciples, um, you know, to uh, to to Jesus. Uh, and uh, they ask, are you the coming one? In other words, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus says, go tell John. Um, so he doesn't just answer the disciples who came. He says, go and tell John the things which you see in here. Of course, all of the things that Jesus lists are the fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Messiah. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Uh, not stumped. Not not offended, as we might understand that word. Not not stumbled. Uh, um, you know, and, and uh, is more of the idea there. And then, but what's interesting is, is that then Jesus then goes into a a, a defense of John the Baptist. So the idea is almost John John is struggling. Uh, but then Jesus says, "What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind." He's talking about John. He says, "A man clothed in soft garments." He says, "No, a prophet, and more than a prophet." And so it, it's really beautiful what Jesus does. He 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 answers John's questions, uh, but then he reaffirms John uh, before the people who no doubt uh, heard his questioning. He reaffirms John before those people uh, as a man of faith and a man of God. I I think the then the the real beauty of that whole exchange is is that we realize is that someone who is even the forerunner of the Messiah, who is themselves uh, ha you know, who who themselves uh, has a, an, an integral role in the fulfillment of prophecy, uh, but yet is still, uh, like us, human and in difficult circumstances, able to even question the uh, the fabric of what they know, and and in difficult times, have a little bit of doubt even for a moment. And and what Jesus does is twofold. He really reassures uh, John, "Don't worry. You know, I'm." Everything that you thought I was, I am. Uh, 
And, and then he reassures those people uh, who had great reverence for the ministry of John the Baptist, who, whom uh, no doubt many of them uh, ultimately had come to Jesus as a result of the ministry of John the Baptist pointing them to Jesus. So I, I would be inclined to, uh, to see that as uh, having not heard the, whole, the entire message, that, or any of the message for that matter that you're talking about, uh, but it sounds like I, you know, I would be in agreement with what, uh, uh, what they're saying about John sending because you know he was struggling and uh i it it, it doesn't go ahead go ahead uh pastor i'll i'll make three very quick points this is all i have to say about it sure uh and 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 just take a look at this and 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 for yourself so three very quick points number one uh when jesus was still in the womb uh mary went to elizabeth when john was in the womb correct correct and, and, and John leapt in his womb. So right then and there in the womb, John knew that, that, that Jesus was God. Uh, point number two, when John baptized Jesus, he knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. I'm, I'm, I don't think that, that, that those verses read that there was any doubt at that time. The, yeah, he felt un- the Holy Spirit, he heard I God, understand exactly. and he knew that Jesus was the Son of yeah, God. I understand exactly where you're going, and I don't disagree with you at all. I, and what you're saying only makes the point more profound. That that well, even one, some one, that even I'm someone sorry, who one more one more quick point one more quick point. This sure. is all I have to say, and then I'll listen to to the no rest. no no no. Go uh, ahead. Good. What you what you just read? What Jesus said to the disciples, where he said, "What what did you go out to see? A reed shaken? I, I don't know the exact. I won't. I won't. Yeah, that's the right. Verse. Yeah, but, but yeah. he asked them, "What did you go out to see?" As if to say. You know, you guys are so hardcore about following John, and you're having trouble now turning and following me. He was explaining that's who John was, and this is this is who I am. Those are all my points. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and 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 I understand the points uh, that that you're making. Um, when you look at the the context of it, there though, I, I it, it's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult road uh, to kind of go down. Uh, you know, while we may want to believe. That, that John didn't waver. The fact is, is that, that uh, he was a human being. And, uh, you know, so when we start trying to go down the other road, we've got to ask ourselves, well, why are we trying to go down a road where we, where we don't believe that John ever wavered? In fact, you know, we see all of the great prophets, uh, or, or many of them, uh, we can assume that they all did because they were human, but, but even Elijah, we see the great prophet Elijah, whom John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, uh, struggling mightily. So I, I think, it's interesting that we see this in the life of John, and it just reminds us that John isn't the Messiah, that, that he was the forerunner of the Messiah, and even one who knew all of the things that, that he knew and experienced, what his consciousness was when he, you know, leapt in the womb. You know, I, I, it's doubtful that he remembered the womb, but, uh, but certainly something spiritual took place there, and obviously uh, he understood at the baptism of Jesus. Uh, but, uh, but even knowing all of those things, and yet uh, when he was, was in a difficult situation, as uh, we all get in, uh, the, the Scripture seems to indicate that he doubted. And Jesus just uh, reassures the people listening that he was still uh, truly a prophet, uh, and a man of great faith. So uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and, uh, and, and I'm more inclined to, uh, uh, to see it uh, in the way of the message uh, that, that, that you heard more recently, but, uh, but obviously that doesn't change uh, what uh, uh, you or I believe concerning salvation. Yeah, th- thank you so much, Pastor. God bless you. And, and let's not forget that Jesus also said that, that John was the greatest uh, that was born among, among women, correct? 
Exactly, and and when you look at John the Baptist, uh, wow, uh, what what a what a uh, a bar to aspire to in terms of serving the Lord. It, truly great, and uh, God, really a man. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Yeah, really a man in in between testaments, uh, a bridge from the Old Testament prophets to the New. Uh, I love the ministry of John the Baptist. Thanks, James, for calling. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number. Uh, to call if you want to join me on the air. Jason Vanderveer here. And uh, we've got uh, a break coming up, uh, but uh, we've got uh, some some callers lined up. If you're if you're listening and you're on hold, do me a favor if you can. Uh, stay with me, and uh, I'd love to take your questions uh, after the break, your calls after the break, and uh, we'll do that. We've got a, a, a whole other half of the program here on Calvary Live. Uh, 303-690-3000 is the number to call if you want to join me on the air. I'm Jason Vanderveer. Uh, I am, well, among other things, I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel uh, in Parker, Colorado. And uh, if you want some information uh, about uh, Calvary Chapel Parker, uh, well, you can get that at calvarychapelparker.com, including uh, when you can join us next. Uh, that will be uh, tonight, 7 p.m., as we continue in the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 3 and 4, uh, looking at the uh, the establishment of the prophet Samuel. It's going to be an awesome time. Listen to Calvary Live. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. And welcome back. Jason Vanderveer here with you on Calvary Live, 303-690-3000. Welcome to all of our Grace FM listeners, Colorado and uh, Wyoming, all up and down the front range. And welcome to all of you in Kentucky, North Carolina and Tennessee, listening on Truth FM and all of you on Hope FM as well. Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, welcome to you. In fact, let's go to Nick uh, in New Jersey. Nick, welcome to the program. Thanks for waiting. Uh, hey, how are you, Nick? Good. Good. Um, what? I wanted to ask you about Genesis 6, about the Nephilim. Yeah. Uh, it says that they were sons of God and that they saw that the women were fair and they laid with them. I heard throughout the past years three different takes on it. What uh-huh. is your take on the Nephilim? Yeah, so basically there are two – of course, we could get into all sorts of, you know – less likely options, but there's two main options concerning the Nephilim. In other words, when you're considering it, uh, I would suggest that there's really only kind of two options that are reasonable. Let me first give you one that I don't agree with, but but it, it, it at least is somewhat understandable where people are coming from, and that's that the sons of God are descendants of Seth. Uh, so some people would say they're, the sons of God are descendants of Seth. The daughters of men, they would say, are the descendants of Cain. And that then their 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 thought is is that this was an ungodly human marriage that corrupted men. I don't necess- I don't agree with that at all. Um, I agree more with the other option uh, of 
like I said, the two most prominent options, uh, at least by my estimation, and that is that the sons of God are fallen angels and that the daughters of men uh, are human women. And so then the idea, which is supported by the context of the passage, is, is that you have an unnatural union between the physical and the spiritual realm uh, that produces something extraordinary in the physical realm in terms of offspring. The question is which, uh, you know, which makes the most sense, uh, or if I take the latter, why does that make most sense? Well, first of all, there's no indication that all the male descendants of Seth were godly and that all the female descendants of Cain were ungodly. And then, why would a union between men and women produce giants in verse 4? So then you get to the second option. I believe it has greater spiritual merit. The phrase, the sons of God, is is an expression often used uh, for angels, and it can refer to fallen angels as it does in Job 1, 6 and and Job 2.1. Uh, also, when you go to 2 Peter 2, uh, 4 and 5, it reveals that God cast down the fallen angels and imprisoned some uh, in a place called Tartarus. It's translated in a lot of Bibles as hell, uh, but it is not hell. Uh, and this seems to be tied to the time, if you look at that passage, tied to the time of Noah. Then Jude, in, in only one chapter in Jude, verses 6 and 7, he follows this up uh, by also speaking of the incarceration and judgment of these follow, fallen angels because of immorality. Um, and uh, the only thing that, that I've heard some people in, uh, argue against this, not effectively, but they argue that angels are incapable of sexual relations from Matthew 22.30, uh, but Matthew 22.30 doesn't say anything like that uh, a- at all, and so we don't get any indication of that. What Jesus was saying was the angels don't, do not marry. He doesn't say that they're incapable of sexual relations. And angels in the Old Testament at times took on human form. And so it's possible that these fallen angels took on human form or possessed humans in order to accomplish what they did. So that's my take uh, on the Nephilim. Of course, Nephilim is is uh, the, the word uh, that is translated uh, giants. It can mean giants or, or fallen ones. Very good. Thank you. Does that make sense to you or do you have... Yeah, that, uh, that makes sense to me because I heard uh, pastors say that the fallen angels couldn't have sex and stuff like that. So yeah. a lot yeah. of people are against that, but that makes sense. Yeah, that that's, like I said, that's the only objection that I've heard, and it's easily overcome because the Bible nowhere says that those angels weren't capable of that. And they try to ascribe that to Jesus, but Jesus doesn't uh, doesn't say that. And, and certainly they would particularly be capable uh, in taking on human form or through possession, tragically. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Very good, yeah. Yep. So I appreciate the question. It's uh, The Nephilim is uh, one of the more interesting, uh, albeit... Uh, uh, really uh, twisted uh, things that we see in Scripture, and obviously, uh, you know, with that—that's these are the things leading up to judgment uh, and the judgment of the flood. That is right, right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for calling, Nick. Thanks for waiting. Hey, folks, Thanks. if you. You want to join me on the air, 303-690-3000. Jason Vanderveer here with you on Calvary Live. Let's go to Brent, who has also been waiting very patiently. Brent, uh, in Denver, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. First, before I ask a question on the on the rabbi, I wanted to bring something up uh-huh. about, about John the Baptist. Um, yeah. He had, um, 
remember he had baptized Jesus. He had seen the Holy Spirit descend as it were a dove and right. heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. Right. Uh, I'm, I am a Jewish or an origin. And uh, one thing that the Jews possibly I have heard that they had a belief that there might actually be two messiahs. They didn't see a church age, so they saw a suffering messiah, then they saw a victorious messiah. Mm-hmm. So put the question that John asked in the context, if there is a suffering messiah, then a victorious uh, king lion messiah, he put that question, are you the messiah or is there another, meaning could there possibly be two messiahs? I don't see how John the Baptist could have doubted that Jesus was the Messiah because he had heard the voice from the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. And so therefore, if Jesus was and is the Son of God, he had to be Messiah. But put that in the context that there might be two Messiahs, a suffering Messiah and a King Messiah to establish the kingdom, and they did not see the church age. So I don't think John the Baptist doubted, but he might have been questioned in context that there might be two messiahs. Are you the messiah, or is there another? Is there a second messiah? Yeah, I I don't. I I understand the the um, uh, the the idea that uh, that you're bringing up. Um, I I wouldn't say that that I agree with it. I think again, as I mentioned to. Uh, uh, to to James earlier is is that you know that's what makes the the fact that John experienced the things that he did the fact that Elijah experienced uh, the things that he did um, just goes to show you that that any of us is capable uh, even understanding the things that that these men understood uh, capable in very difficult situations to begin to question what they know and and John in his condition you know what the passage seems to indicate is is even knowing even baptizing Jesus he began to wonder you know. Did I miss something? You know, are you the one, or or is is there actually a, a, another one? And uh, so so that that would be my take on it. Uh, you've articulated, I think, you know what what you think uh, very well. Um, I I just uh, uh, don't uh, don't necessarily uh, see it the same way, but uh, but it's not the end of the world. I I still find it yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, so, we don't. Yeah, we kind of see kind of see uh, these people in the Bible as giants and not their, their yeah. Their, humanity, right. and that they are just as human as we are. Yeah. It, they, they at different times have their doubts. The second question I have mm-hmm. is, um, I study the Bible with a group of men that that they they teach and they truly believe that that the, um, the rapture will take place in the sixth or the seventh year, mm-hmm. that we're not appointed the wrath, but the time of great wrath, I guess, is a, five, a short five-month period. And that we're going to have to go through uh, six of the seven years of the Great Tribulation. In other words, they're post-mid tribulation. And what I kind of have a hard time believing is that Chuck Smith, Dave Love, Ed Taylor, Greg Laurie, and all the Calvary Chapel pastors have got it wrong, and just an extreme minority have it right. And I just, <clears throat> I just want to see if you have any <laughs> clarification because they said that there's seven things that have to happen before the rapture. And if they're right, uh, after the, uh, the abomination that makes desolate, I can't imagine anybody, any of the ten virgins that, that called Jesus Lord, but five only having oil in their lamps, mm-hmm. would be unawares, and, and you would everybody would be looking up after the abomination of the, at the midterm of the tribulation when the abomination takes place. Which yeah. one of the ten virgins wouldn't be looking up and wouldn't be ready, and he wouldn't be coming as a thief in the night? 
Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's a fascinating subject. You, you've brought up about two or three arguments uh, for a pre-tribulational rapture. Um, one of, so backing up a little bit, you also alluded to another. Um, a key to understanding the, the, the tribulation um, and to understanding the rapture in conjunction with the tribulation is, is just as you said, understanding the purpose of the Great Tribulation. And, and the purpose of the Great Tribulation is in no way to test believers. Um, it is the outpouring, Revelation 6, 17, uh, of the great day of his wrath. And, and, and it's common who is able to stand. Um, as, as you've heard mentioned before, uh, uh, no doubt many of the, the teachers that, that you just mentioned, um, uh, have, have, you've had a chance to hear them teach it or others. Um, we don't see the, the church on earth uh, after Revelation chapter 3. In other words, after the, the great discussion in chapters 2 and 3 uh, of the church and the various aspects of the church age and so forth. There's, there's several nuances to the seven churches in, in 2 and 3. Uh, but we do see, it's not an argument from absence, we do see the church uh, in heaven. Um, and, and not just uh, via the... Uh, um, you know, this idea of a, of a rapture and for uh, through the catching up uh, of John, though that is certainly interesting in and of itself. Uh, but then we begin to see uh, these, uh, these living creatures, and then we see the 24 elders, uh, which I believe are representative uh, of the redeemed uh, from both the, the uh, church age and uh, prior to the church age, and we see them casting their crowns at the feet uh, of the Lord and saying, uh, you know, you are worthy uh, and uh, because you have redeemed us. And so we see the redeemed uh, there in heaven. We no longer see them uh, on earth from that time. We do see believers uh, but those are uh, those, uh, as uh, John says later, who come out of the Great Tribulation. And uh, so those are the believers who, who come out of the Great Tribulation. Of course, some of them are martyred and, and some of them survive the Great Tribulation. And so in Matthew 24, you have the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats separating those uh, holy and unholy survivors of the, of the Great Tribulation. So when you look at First uh, Thessalonians uh, 4 and 5, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2, uh, chapters 1 and 2 also, you get a very good picture not only of the rapture, but of the timing uh, of the rapture as well. And, and, and I believe that there's just, it's not as though people are unintelligent who make mid or post-trib rapture arguments. Um, I just don't believe that it's the, the, the best uh, reckoning of the evidence, and then finally, as you point out, uh, if the rapture was, you know, at the end of the great tribulation period, then you know you could look to the abomination uh, of desolation at at three point five years into a seven year period, uh, and you could then infer uh, the uh, the timing of the rapture, if not the day, depending on what your theory was, I suppose, uh, of the rapture of the church. And then as you point out, this whole idea uh, that Jesus talks about in Matthew of no man knowing the day or the hour um, then, then becomes problematic. And uh, so the only time that we're not going to know the rapture of the church is if it is prior to the Great Tribulation period. Otherwise... Right. Yeah, otherwise, it, it, it's going to be a known quantity if you're associating it with something else. And one thing, one last thing, 
in Revelations, I think it's in four, mm-hmm. when John John is called up, and I'll show you these things, it says the door is shut. It yeah. looks like that same door that's in Matthew 24 when the ten virgins, it yeah. says when they, when they went to go to market to get oil in their lamps, it says the door is shut. I think it's yeah. the same door and it's the same type of door uh, in parallel to Noah and the flood when the door is shut and no one else was coming up. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and these are interesting ideas. Again, you know, not not you you wouldn't want to hang your argument on all of that, but considering everything else that we've just talked about, and even considering all the things that you know in our short conversation we even ha- haven't even had a chance to address, considering that with that, it's just another piece of the puzzle that that uh, you know begins to 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 paint a clear picture uh, of of the rapture of the church and and the rapture you know when he's when Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 uh, there and 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 he's and he's going back and forth between uh, the rapture and and the second coming because Jesus often does that concerning uh, the end times he'll he'll move through you know the spectrum of the end times and talk about one aspect and then talk about another uh, and we see him talking about the second coming uh, after the great tribulation there but then we see him also talking about uh, about the rapture of the church as I said the the only unknown is is the rapture the the only surprise in a sense, uh, and it shouldn't be a surprise to believers. That's kind of the point that Jesus makes because they're looking for it, uh, but right. they don't. They don't know the timing of it. Uh, is is the rapture of the church? Everything else is very clearly unfolding on a time schedule, and and the idea that uh, you know that the the wrath aspect of the great tribulation um, it only lasts a short period of time uh not the full three and a half years uh that it's and it's spelled out in revelation in years and in days uh too uh and in daniel uh also so so we see the time frame is is three and exactly three and a half years it's not not a year or months or whatever is the first three and a half years uh going to be a good time or is it going to be wrath also in other words, is it not until the abomination that things are bad? Because one thing, if if they were right and the rapture was going to take place in year six or seven, yeah. the seventh week, then Jesus said, pray for that you are kind of worthy to escape these things. Right. Well, not much of an escape if you're going to experience uh, 75, 80% of the tribulation. What are the first three and a half years going to be like? Yeah, when you when you look at Daniel uh, and uh, chapter nine, and also when you when you look at the book of Revelation, you see that the first three and a half years are are, are really kind of lull people into a false sense of security. Um, obviously, you have the 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 rise of the Antichrist uh, at the beginning of that period of time. Uh, you have the covenant that he makes with Israel. You have the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, it's going to be kind of a big kumbaya. We are the world moment. You know, um, it, it, it'll be that moment finally. I think if the UN still exists, and people say, "Well, see, we told you so." You know, the UN finally brought the world together and so forth, and the Antichrist and everything else. And so, you know, you'll have the the temple somehow rebuilt on the Temple Mount, whether it'll be uh, rebuilt north of the Dome of the Rock or whether somehow the you know, the Dome of the Rock will be gone and the temple will be built there. That's a whole other discussion on whether or not the Dome has to go in the location of the temple. Lots of ideas on that. But but somehow the temple will exist again on the Temple Mount, and, and it'll take place during uh, that period of time. And so there'll, there'll be this peace and, and this false 
covenant that is made by the Antichrist. And, and you know, I think the world is going to be doing pretty well during that time. I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, if it was record-breaking uh, economic times and social times and technological times and quality of lifetime and, and, and medical advances or, or, or whatever the case may be. I, I think that, that, that people are going to be at that time lulled into a great sense of uh, a, a great false security, but then boom, smack dab in the middle of that period of time, the Bible says that the, you know, is the abomination that makes desolate and, and the Antichrist goes in and his image is set up there and, you know, on a dime, everything turns and then we begin to to uh, see the seals uh, and the uh, uh, trumpets and the bowl judgments begin to be poured out. And as well what, as the at what as, point yeah. during excuse me at what point because real quick I know you're so short of time at yep. what point during the seventieth week will the mark of the beast need to be taken? Will that be at the beginning because it it seems to appear in Revelation six thirteen the mark of the beast comes early. It yeah. seems to be early on because of where it's placed in Revelation. Yeah, and 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 you know, so there are some back and forth in in uh, Revelation, but there is a lot of chronology there, and I would suggest it's very early on uh, that image is set up. Uh, they're commanded to worship the image and to receive uh, the mark of the beast that they can buy and sell, and so uh, all indications are that you know that that's very early on in that three and a half year period. Well, I want to say one last thing that you might yep. find really interesting. I think it was on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I saw a documentary on the temple, and there's a cistern that ran uh, in a certain direction, an underground water cavern that led to the temple, and they yeah. have found it. And they found, actually, that where the Dome of the Rock is, uh, rock is, was, is the citadel. It was a Roman fort because it overlooked the Temple Mount. And so the temple itself was not where the Dome of the Rock is. If yeah, you can that's... look it up, I think it was on Amazon. It was a fascinating uh, yeah. documentary on the temple. Yeah, that I, I would I would dispute that. I've heard these ideas that the Antonia Fortress sat where the Dome of the Rock, thus it would put the uh, the temple south of there. Actually, the there's a great if you go to Rittmeyer, R I T M E Y E R. Uh, it's Lee Rittmeyer. Write, write how do you yeah. spell that? R I T. R-I-T-M-E-Y-E-R, Rittmeyer, R-I-T-M-E-Y-E-R. He has several books and several articles. I think his uh, his site is uh, maybe Rittmeyer.org. Uh, most of his articles I've read at biblicalarchaeology.com. You can go there as well. He's got several books published. Lean Rittmeyer is actually uh, one of the preeminent um, architectural uh, archaeologists, and uh, he has done extensive research using the research of, of uh, Charles Warren back in the 1800s, also Wilson, um, who excavated, there's like 47 cisterns underneath the, the Temple Mount. They excavated uh, all but one of those, I believe, measured them and so forth. And so he's able to take their research, but also a lot of contemporary research and not only calculate, I, I think he does a pretty good job. Obviously, you can dispute some of his findings, and people do. Uh, but he did a pretty good job of not only calculating uh, the three different um, the three different stages of the Temple Mount. In other words, what the 
where the Temple Mount was uh, during the time of Solomon. Uh, it was a five, the Bible says it was 500 cubits square. Uh, calculating that and even the stones that made that up. Then the Hasmonean extension. Uh, the Hasmonean period was uh, the period of right after the Maccabean revolt. There's an extension of the Temple Mount during the Hasmoneans. And then, of course, Herod's extension, in the uh, great extension during the first uh, century. He talks about those three different phases and then attempts to place the uh, the temple on you know where it would have been located in relationship to the Temple Mount. Um, check check it out. You you know uh, I, I don't know that necessarily. You know, I I can't say definitively he's he's absolutely right about everything. But but I did learn a lot uh, by uh, by taking a look at some of his books and articles. Well, I certainly will. I want to thank you very much uh, uh, for for um, for taking my question. I want to let other people get on. So God bless and. I love listening to this radio station. Thank you very hey, much. Thanks for calling, Brent. God bless you. Right. 303-690-3000, Joe in Baltimore. Welcome to the program, Joe. Thank you. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for, for giving us a call. What's on your mind today? Um, Galatians 2.20. You know, mm-hmm. I've meditated on it for years. And uh, just let me go through it for a minute. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That one phrase, that I live by the faith of the Son of God, what exactly does that mean? If you could clarify or expound that verse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So so um, Paul talks about uh, dying. If you look in the, the verse before that, in verse 19, he talks about dying to the law that he might live to God. And so yeah. the way that he died to the law, of course, is he, he died uh, with Christ. And so, you know, just yeah. kind of a little bit of background. When we believe, we believe that we, we die to Christ. So we're no longer living to the law. That person uh, is dead. And so he says, Christ lives in me, the life which I now live uh, in the flesh I live by faith. So, so you have this kind of juxtaposition of 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 the law and grace, or faith, as he talks about it here. And so, uh, we're no longer living under the law, and all of that is made possible in the cross uh, when we place our faith in Christ. And Christ is now living in us. And so, we now live according to faith not according to the law. And so it's not about living up to the law, uh, but about, it's not about me living up to the law, but it's about Christ living in me and living in us. Mm -hmm. And so the question, you know, some might say, well, what's the difference? In one, I try to earn my salvation. In the other, I live a holy life because he lives in me by faith. So backing up now, backing into your question then, he says, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, that is, uh, according to the law, he died, uh, but Christ mm-hmm. lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So first and foremost, uh, the faith that he's talking about is faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then that faith also enables us to then live a holy life. So it's, it, it really encompasses the two as- aspects of faith, right? Anytime you Certainly. see faith... Anytime you see faith in Scripture, it's, it's really going in one of two directions. It's either uh, faith for salvation or it's faith to live the Christian life. 
And what Paul is talking about here is really both. Uh, He's saying, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So uh, I'm saved by faith, but I also live uh, by faith in the Son of God. So I'm not saved by the law, I'm saved by faith, and that also gives me power to live uh, a holy life. So I would argue that that this verse is talking about faith. Most passages uh, are not talking about faith in both of its aspects, but I would suggest to you that this one is. Certainly. I guess I got hung up, hung up in um, some versions. It has like a definite article, the faith of the Son of God. So is, is it yeah, like and I, I have, have the faith of Christ in me and I'm relying on the strength yeah, of God's faith? You know? I'm, pull, I'm trying to pull it up right now in, um, in, the, uh, in the Greek here. And uh, that makes sense. I pulled up the wrong. Uh, I pulled up the Septuagint and <laughs> and not the uh, 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 not the Greek New <laughs> Testament. But uh, uh, here we go. And so just trying to see. I'm trying to trying to find the. I'm not seeing the article. Oh yes, yes. Okay. So uh, yeah, it has the 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 definite article there. I'm going to take a closer look at this, um, but it looks like uh, it looks like it has the definite article, which is the faith, which is not uh, not unusual and uh, and and doesn't really change the meaning that you and I talked about much in any way. Okay. It so- sounds like you're reading a translation that's that's uh, quite literal, which is there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, very good. Okay. I guess I was uh, overanalyzing it a bit, maybe. Well, right, uh, as as sometimes we may be pro- prone to do, actually, you'll find that a lot in the in the scripture when it talks about faith. Uh, it will say the faith uh, in 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 your Greek New Testament, um, and and okay. we just we just don't usually because it, it sounds a bit you know uh it sounds unusual to our ears our english speaking ears uh we don't right. you know it's not usually translated that way unless you're dealing with like a young's literal translation perhaps or something like that okay that helps okay. me a lot thank All right. you very much you betcha joe god bless you and uh have time for one more question bethany in pennsylvania bethany uh welcome to the program hello hi <laughs> hi we we have just a couple minutes left what's on your mind today uh, sure. Well, then I will make it quick. Um, I was listening to, uh, I believe it was Pastor Ed talking here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, you're, you're on a... Felt, yep. I'm sorry? No, I was just saying you're, you're on a one-week delay, so you're listening to last week's program, but I don't want to take time away from you. Go ahead. That's correct. Yeah, no, and I, I just felt compelled to call. Um, I am getting married this weekend, um, and some... Congratulations. Some has, uh, thanks. Yeah, we're very excited, um, but my uh, future mother-in-law has been... Um, a challenge for my fiancé and I, she um, claims to be a Christian. My fiancé's parents were divorced. They got divorced when he was probably about 11 or 12. Um, uh-huh. But she definitely believes some things that are not very biblical, though she um, very much okay. feels that she has very strong Christian convictions. And anyway, yep. as long we're gonna, as she's very We're, we're going to get cut off here, so I'm going to just pray for you really quick. I apologize for the the short prayer. Lord, I just lift up Bethany. I pray you'd bless her marriage. And Lord, I just pray you'd bless her and her fiance uh, with these issues that they're dealing with and just strengthen them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, folks, so you've been listening to Calvary Live. Jason Vanderveer with you. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow. Calvary Live will be back tomorrow and throughout the rest of the week taking more of your calls and questions. God bless you guys. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.